If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So welcome back to the podcast. This is Greg, and I'm actually sitting out here in the secret compound by the fire pit all by myself today. It's kind of rainy fall day, but it's beautiful. The colors have turned. There's just a, a million colors in the trees and the deciduous trees around me and then the pines. Got that end of October feel. Really wonderful. But I wanted to record about an experience that I had a week or so ago. I was traveling in the Rocky Mountains. We used to live in that area for a lot of years and we went back to visit some family in the Rockies and old friends and whatnot. And so while we were back there, I went to church one Sunday with some family members and friends to their church. It's a contemporary evangelical church up in the Rockies. It's actually, I'll give you this, it, the location is at 8,500 feet or closer to 8,800 or something like that. So it's kind of up there in the Rockies in a beautiful little town uh, that we used to be a part of and it's just great and uh but i hadn't been to a contemporary evangelical worship service in a number of years i entered the catholic church as a convert a while back and i've been back a couple of times to that kind of a worship service i've been back to some of those churches for funerals and other events but this was the first time in years that i had actually gone on a sunday morning just to attend and I kind of thought I'd record my impressions today. You know, what I, I noticed after having been a convert and being in the Catholic Church for a number of years now, how what used to be so familiar to me, not only as a member of sort of the contemporary evangelical world, but as a, as a pastor and a leader and a, those kinds of things, just how many things stood out for me as just so different than what I'm used to experiencing now as a Catholic. And I, I, I took some notes down, actually, while I was there. So while I was sitting in the service, they have a bulletin and a space in it for you to take sermon notes. That's part of the culture of that world. And so I had the little pencil, and I was making notes in the notes section. But as much as I was enjoying the message, and it was good, and the pastor was good, and he was making some good points. I was actually jotting down my impressions. And so afterwards, I transferred them into my phone, and I thought I'd sit out here by the fire put and share those impressions with you. So before I go forward and sort of sharing those impressions, I, I really want to just plead with you to hear everything I'm saying through love and affection for those people. I hope that every word, every sentence, every point I make in this conversation just is dripping with affection and love for those people, for that church, that community, for that pastor. I didn't become a Catholic because I thought that contemporary evangelicals were bad people, 
or heretics or evil or didn't know Jesus or whatever. Far from it. I became a Christian in that world, converted in college and gave much of my adult life to it and had so many positive experiences in my adult life, personally and professionally and in missions and all around the world, everything, that all I can say is that that contemporary evangelical, and by that I mean sort of the conservative orthodox contemporary evangelical world, those people really love the Bible. They love scriptures. They love God's word as they understand it. They love Jesus Christ. They are committed. They live devoutly Christian lives. They give of themselves sacrificially. They genuinely try to take the gospel into the world and lead the world to Christ. And they genuinely are trying to make the world a better place by bringing the kingdom of God to it. I didn't leave that world because I thought it was bad. I left that world because I thought it was incomplete. And I'll kind of maybe make that clear in my comments here, but I always felt that like if you had a a diagram, like a a Venn diagram or a set diagram, where you would look at what, what I thought was the kingdom of God, what I thought was the church was only a subset of something so much bigger, that the kingdom of God was so much bigger, that God's word was so much bigger, that the church was so much bigger, that the created universe was so much bigger, that the evangelical world, while it was good, was limited. And so I became a Catholic to experience or to enter that bigger world, not because I thought that where I was was bad. So enough of all that sort of introduction and preamble. Let me share my impressions, what I found to be, for me, the noticeable differences about going to worship in that contemporary evangelical church, having become a Catholic and been one for a number of years now. So the first one, right out of the gate, as I drove up to the church, and and again, this church is like at 8,500, 8,700 feet elevation in the Rocky Mountains. It's a beautiful town. Some of you might recognize the name of the town if I said it, but I, I don't want to do that. It's a, it's a popular place. Tourists come there and whatnot, but there's a lot of locals, and I have family that live there year-round, and we have a long association with that place. But as we drove up to the church, again, stunningly beautiful mountains all around it in the valley with the town below it and whatnot. As I walked inside, and I want to be careful, but I have family members that were part of the building committee that helped build that church, devout gave a lot of themselves in terms of time and money and effort and whatnot. And it's a, it's a very nice facility and it's got big windows that you can see some stunning views. But when you walk in from an architecture and art standpoint, you realize right away that the space is designed for teaching, for performance, musical performance. You've got a contemporary band up there and big screens. What there's no space for or not even kind of concept of is the notion that it's sacred space. So there's nothing that's designed to facilitate the sacred, unless, of course, you consider teaching the Bible to be sacred 
or engaging in praise and worship to be sacred. But there's, there's no sense that there's something sacred here or the space is sacred. And there's no sacred art. So there might be some dried flower arrangements or things that look pretty, but not sacred art in the sense of paintings or statues or whatever that are designed to emulate scripture or scenes from scripture or the saints or scriptural principles or whatever. It's, it's an auditorium. It's a nice auditorium, but it's an auditorium. And because the emphasis on, is on teaching the Bible and hearing the Bible and knowing the Bible, expressing your personal relationship with Jesus through praise and worship singing, choruses based on a verse from the Bible, there is no concept of sacred space. There is no sacred art. There's no reason to sort of reinforce biblical characters or scenes in art through painting or sculpture or stained glass or whatever. Since the gospel and the personal relationship with Jesus in is, in a sense, conceptualized, it, it's an interior thing. You hear the word and you feel this interior relationship with Jesus this personal relationship with Jesus. So you don't need in the space to create that sacred, uh, the notion of the sacred, because the idea is, is that as you hear the word, that sacred place will be in your heart or something. And that's very different, obviously, than a Catholic space, where we believe that the church is a sacred space. It's a space that's been set aside. The definition of sacred is something that's been dedicated to God's purposes or dedicated to God. It's holy ground. And so the space is supposed to convey, and is through the architecture and the art and everything else, it's meant to create that that sense of the sacred. In fact, that's why when a church is built, then the bishop comes and consecrates it, makes it sacred, dedicates it to a holy purpose. You're entering what you would have in the Old Testament, the the tabernacle or the temple, and that in that sacred space. When Moses comes to the burning bush and God says, remove your sandals for this is sacred ground. So that sense of the sacred is missing in the art and the architecture. And that was really noticeable to me, having been in the Catholic Church for a number of years now and then going back to that world that I was so familiar with before, but it, it just, it was a little jarring to sort of see it again through different eyes. Here's the second thing, and that was the way that I express it, sort of the second major difference. I guess I put this under the Roman numeral of personal versus corporate. And I'm not sure that's exactly the right way to put it, but here's sort of what I mean by that. That in that evangelical contemporary faith, it is an individual and horizontal spirituality versus a sort of vertical and hierarchical spirituality in the Catholic Church. What I mean by that is, is that for the evangelicals, Protestants, God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit is primarily concerned with you or me as, as individuals. He desires an intimate, personal, one-to-one, inside-out sort of relationship with us. And as we approach him as an individual child of God or repentant sinner, he cultivates that personal one-on-one relationship. So it's not so much that Jesus is with us as with he's with each of us. And then collectively, right, we're a community of people that have personal relationships with Jesus. Rather, 
than a church that is the body of Christ and has a corporate relationship with him, as well as personal, right? So I mentioned earlier when you drove up, the sign is whatever the name of the town is or whatnot, Christian fellowship. Because in that in that view, in that perspective, the church is a fellowship or a community of like-minded believers and followers of Jesus. The, the pastor is there to preach and to teach and encourage and to facilitate our individual journeys and our personal relationships with Christ. So the community is sort of an aggregate of individuals. And, and because of that, it has a sort of horizontal quality. We're all sort of equal in the sense that we, if you look at it as an organizational chart, there's sort of like Jesus and then a whole bunch of spokes on the organizational chart out to each of us. And therefore, we're all like, if you thought of it as an organizational chart, a sort of flat organization. Now, Catholicism is certainly the individual, our individual relationship with Christ matters. But part of the way that we experience what it means to have a relationship with the Christ is to have a relationship with Christ's body, the church, right? I mean, the way that, and maybe the primary way that we have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, that we have a personal relationship with his body, the church, so, which is the corporate body of Christ, of which I am a member, a part of that body. And, and it proceeds down from the head, Christ, this is all St. Paul, who describes the church this way, down through the apostles and their successors. And so Paul says Christ is the head of the body, and then he gives apostles and, and, and teachers and evangelists and, and, and bishops and leaders and so forth, all of their purposes to sort of guide and organize the body just as the body has various parts. In Catholicism, the church is an entity. It's a, it's a living, breathing thing. It's not just a community of like-minded individuals. In fact, I think the reality of the Catholic Church, which means universal, the universality of the Catholic Church, the reality of that is that, that members of the Catholic Church are often not like-minded, Right? I mean, we're a big church, as I say in the intro, 20 centuries and 24 time zones and two hemispheres, people from every language, tribe, and nation. Well, that vast sea of humanity is not all going to be like-minded on everything. And so it's not that we come together because we're all like-minded individuals. It's that all of these diverse people with a lot of diverse opinions are held together in this corporate body and led by the head and the apostles and successors of the apostles, which, which sort of herd us like a flock of wandering sheep. What unites us is not our agreement or our similar demographics or our alignment of our personal goals, but what holds us together is our sacramental membership in the church. We were all baptized and confirmed into the mystical body of Christ. And, and our spiritual life and the rest of our life is sort of organized and experienced around and through the sacraments, right? We're baptized, we're confirmed, uh, we take the Eucharist, 
we go to confession and reconciliation, we're married, we at the end receive the anointing at the end, right? All of these things are sort of the channels or the slalom gates of life that the church leads us through. When I was an evangelical Protestant, contemporary Protestant, I I could disagree with the the, the individual church or community or fellowship I belong with and then just stop going to it and go to another one. But I can't stop being a baptized and confirmed Catholic. I mean, even if I stop agreeing and going, I'm still a baptized and confirmed Catholic. I, this leads to a whole lot of misunderstandings, right, where people will say, well, so-and-so is a Catholic. They'll point to somebody who's a lapsed Catholic or non participating Catholic, somebody doesn't go to mass, somebody disagrees with the church and go, well, look at this, this guy, this man, this woman is a Catholic. And some of them are very prominent figures, politicians and all that. I could name names, but you can figure it out. And we can say, well, is this guy a Catholic? And you go, well, in a sense, right? I mean, he is a baptized and confirmed Catholic. He's, he's not living his faith. He's in disagreement with the church. He's in tension with, with the community. And that's the whole point is that there is this community that I don't like that word, that there is this mystical body that he's a part of, even if you're trying to run away from it, like the prodigal son. Whereas in the evangelical contemporary world, what we have is 100,000 like-minded fellowships or communities, and you move among them as you pick and choose and find one that you know sort of aligns with your personality and goals. When in the Catholic Church, the priests and the hierarchy don't just facilitate my journey. They, they actually mediate the grace and the life contained in the Word and Sacraments. Okay, so I guess the next sort of Roman numeral on this, the next big thing I noticed was, in a sense, the sort of difference of purpose. Like the point, like why are we there? And it was, for me, what struck me is the difference between the sort of the Catholic notion of transformation through the sacred. When Moses meets God in the burning bush or the Israelites encounter Yahweh in the tabernacle or, or when the people in the Gospels encounter Christ or the risen Christ, they're having this encounter with the sacred. And that's what the church, Catholic church, is built upon, is perpetuating that sense of the encounter with the sacred and that that encounter changes us, it transforms us, we're open to it. Whereas in the evangelical contemporary Protestant world, the sort of purpose or point is is salvation through information. The point is that we are saved by knowing. So Catholicism is right built on this, as I just said, this motion of encounter and engagement with the Word of God. And remember, we've talked about this in previous episodes. The Word of God is not just the Bible in Catholicism. The, the Word of God is Christ himself. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He's the divine Logos. And that divine Logos, that divine Word, is made manifest through his body, the church. So when you are a part of the church, when you encounter the church, when you participate in the, in the life of the church, you are participating and encountering and engaging with God's Word as it's made manifest that way. And, and then you have the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist, of course, which is the Word of God, the, the divine Logos made tangible in flesh and blood in the species of the, the Eucharist. 
and and then you have of course the word as expressed through the scriptures and apostolic teaching so th- that sense of the word is full-bodied and it is sacred in all those dimensions and that engagement with the fullness of god's word the divine logos sort of offers us a path to transformation if we'll walk along that path but for contemporary evangelical protestants and i'm talking about the conservative kinds right obviously salvation comes down to a this notion of the personal relationship with Jesus that comes about primarily through information transfer. So what do I mean by information transfer? So the Sunday I went to this church in the Rocky Mountains, pastor was in a a series of messages, right? Because he doesn't teach on the lectionary. He's going to do a message series. That's what I did all the years. And he was doing a series of however many sermons or messages on the book of Ephesians, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this week, or the week that I was there, his text was Ephesians 3, 10 through 12, where it says the perp, where we were sort of rendering that as the purpose of the church is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, obviously, that's what St. Paul says, and I agree with that, right? I mean, that's what St. Paul says. But as I said a moment ago, in Catholicism, the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church, through all those ways I just described, right? Through the sort of ontological being of the church itself, through the sacraments, through proclamation, through the work of the church. All of that is how the wisdom of God is made known through the church. But the pastor that day sort of renders it through this evangelical lens and says, well, what it means is that through the church, the news that Jesus died on a cross and rose again to save you from your sins is proclaimed. So in a sense, it is, it is a shrunken notion of the gospel. Instead of the wisdom of God being made known in all those full ways that I described, the wisdom of God is made known because we tell people about Jesus living and dying and rising again. And that proclamation, that information transfer, that teaching is what saves us because when people learn that and know that, then they can make a choice to have a personal relationship with Jesus by accepting that gift. So he goes on in the message to say, I'm sitting there taking notes, scribbling notes. He says, our purpose, our mission is to come alongside people who don't know about Jesus and then explain Jesus to him. And then, as he says, then we become a trumpet or a mouthpiece to share the gospel. And then that information, that good news, when they learn that, then they have an opportunity to choose to respond. And he went on to say in the message that the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the story of sin and forgiveness, that that we are to emphasize that gospel of personal salvation through that personal relationship so that not only can they know, but then they can pass it on and tell other people. So the information transfer keeps continuing. It was interesting in this church and like so many of others, the, the kids aren't in the worship service. So they have a very, very extensive children's area in the building and the kids are all there. And so one of the questions a Catholic might ask is why are, aren't the kids in the worship service? And the answer is, well, because they're in an age-appropriate service. And what do you mean by it's age-appropriate? Well, the pastor is going to be sort of teaching 
doing an information transfer at an adult level and the kids are getting information transfer at, at their educational level or developmental level. Because the point is not to be there and encounter the Eucharist or to be there and encounter right, the sacred. The point is to, to effectively listen and learn. So you're going to divide people up by their sort of educational and developmental level so they can listen and learn better. So three words that I think that come out of the experience for me, informational, personal, and sentimental. That what struck me about that world was how oriented it was around information, the gospel, the Bible, teaching on the Bible, the sense of the personal one-on-one individual relationship with God rather than that sort of corporate sense. And then how sentimental it was because the worship time consists of the praise and worship band just singing praise choruses over and over and over again. And I'm looking up and down the aisle and people are kind of closing their eyes, lifting their hands, and they're just sort of having this sort of emotional moment. There's nothing wrong with that. I get it. But, but that's all it is. And that's what I mean by saying that I didn't leave evangelicalism because I thought it was bad. I just felt that it was limited. There was so much more. I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing to know about the Bible, and it's certainly not a bad thing to feel a personal relationship with Christ in your heart, and it's certainly not a bad thing to feel emotional during the worship service, but in a sense, that's as far as it goes in that world. You feel like you learn, like you're actively participating, you feel like you're emotionally and relationally engaged, like you're surrounded with like-minded people who share your experience and your values. Like you have a pastor who wants to be your teacher and your coach and your friend. And, and it's all very warm and inviting and fun and engaging. Now, if I try to explain to all of them, some of these friends and family members who do not understand that I've become Catholic, and it's a lot of them create a real, it's created a real gulf in my relationship with some of those folks. Because they, they, from their standpoint, I've gone off the deep end and I and I from their standpoint because I've become Catholic I no longer have a personal relationship with Jesus I'm no longer committed to the Bible and I follow weird priests who aren't teachers and that's how they think of it and and they would think of it, I was insane if I tried to explain Catholicism to them because I hope they listen to the podcast but because from their perspective Catholicism puts barriers between people and people having that direct personal experience of God. From their perspective, the liturgy, Catholic liturgy, isn't designed to engage or educate or entertain. And that's their point. They want to be engaged and educated and entertained. Instead, the Catholic liturgy is designed to enact or enable this, these sort of sacred realities of confession and proclamation and declaration and sacramental transformation, et cetera, et cetera. So, look, all of this is why so many Catholics, I think, leave for evangelical churches. So I'll just tell you, when I was a, especially when I was a young pastor, missionary pastor, I can I kind of confess to you now, I rebaptized so many Catholics in swimming pools and stuff like that. Because I met so many people who so, said, well, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I just was dead, and I never really knew Jesus, and I never really knew of the Bible, and now I've started coming to this contemporary evangelical church, and I'm listening to you teach about the Bible, and I'm having this personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm singing the praise songs, and I'm just so engaged, and I love all the people, and I, now I think I've really found Christianity. And, and I think that's why, too, there are so many... I'll just say this powerful forces within the Catholic Church today 
that are trying to fundamentally change Catholicism to an evangelical Protestant model. I think there are very, very, very powerful forces, some of them at the highest levels of the Catholic Church, that look at the evangelical Protestant model and say, look how engaged people are. Let's make this about personal relationship with Christ. Let's leave a lot of these sort of corporate hierarchical, doctrinal, liturgical, sacred elements of Catholicism behind. Look how many people are flocking to the evangelical world. Let's, let, let, they've got a lot going on. And, but that world, again, is built on a different model. And so in it, you can only get so far. Because in some sense, when you're in that world, it's all about you, right? You, you sort of never get past yourself and your relationship with Jesus. And you sort of never experience the parts of Christ that, are, that, that aren't directly relevant to you. You never get out to sort of experience the whole, being connected to all the depths and dimensions of God's kingdom. And so, anyway, that's why I started this podcast. Um, what it's always been about is trying to introduce and explain the depth of Catholicism to, to people, whether they are Catholics who are trying to understand their faith better or non-Catholics who are investigating it. And I guess that is, for me, the mission that I've undertaken. I, I think it's, maybe it's because I came out of that world and was so shaped by that world that as I became a Catholic, I said, well, how, how do I teach and engage? And maybe that's kind of programmed in me, but uh, at least that's the mission of what we're doing here. So I hope this has been useful to you. I hope you enjoy listening. We certainly can use your support. We are a very small ministry that operates on just a few hundred dollars a month and would like to do more and like to expand more. So very grateful for those of you that contribute. And uh, for any of you that would like to contribute, one of the things you could do to, to pray for us is pray that we can get enough support to sort of do this more and better. And also, I would love to find some sponsors. We've been trying to seek out maybe some businesses or ministries that would love to sponsor the podcast. So if that's something that you would be interested in or some business organization that you know would be interested in or... Or maybe you can just pray for that. And my goal is that we're able to share the riches and depths of the Catholic worldview with more and more people as time goes on. So also, by the way, I've had a lot of problems lately with the email. A long, boring story, but the domain. We've had all kinds of problems with our domain, our consideringcatholicism.com domain and the, and the email associated with it. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Anyway, what I've done is open, created a, a new email account. It's just consideringcatholicism at, at gmail.com. Consideringcatholicism at gmail.com. A little more stable. So for those of you who have written to me at the other email address and haven't gotten back to you, part of it is, is that I don't get all the emails. A lot of them bounce back or don't go through. So this point going forward, please uh, contact me at consideringcatholicism at gmail.com. And God bless all of you. And we'll return to our regular episodes very, very soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com and email me to let me know what you think.